Here we go. Welcome to the podcast. This is Brennan Tassif is your ex-drinking buddy. My name is Brennan Tassif and this is the inaugural podcast. So what I wanted to do with this first one was just kind of go over how I came up with this idea, what this podcast is going to be about, kind of what we're going to talk about here. So the idea came to me um, like 10 years ago when I first started listening to podcasts. And the whole idea was that podcasts were just coming out. I was in college and I started listening to shows like The After Disaster and The Film Vault and uh, Bill Burr's podcast and then Bill Simmons' old podcast through ESPN, The BS Report. And I really enjoyed them. So I thought to myself at the time, this is back in like 2010, I should start a podcast. I had been doing comedy for a year and I was like, oh, that's such a good idea. But like most people, I was full of shit and just kept saying I was going to do it and never got around to it. The idea, the title's actually been the same since then. The whole idea was that I was going to sit around with my buddy from college. We were just going to get drunk and just talk like we did all the time without recording it. And we just figured out we'll record it. And then, boom, we got ourselves a podcast. We did a couple episodes, never put them up. Back then, trying to get a website and an RSS feed was a lot harder than it is now. And it wasn't even that hard back then. And it just never became of anything. And here we are now. And it's ten years later. And I decided to actually get off my butt and give it a go. It wasn't all me deciding to do this. Uh, I have some friends, excuse me, during the quarantine, uh, for reference, we're in month six of the coronavirus quarantine, and I have some friends uh, that I met through a Zoom call that we started to do every Friday, and they literally thought about starting a podcast and did it, and that's when I kind of realized, like, oh, it's just that easy, so I finally got off my butt and... Decided to do it. So here we are. The premise, like I said, is going to be based around the talks I used to have with all my drinking buddies, um, one in particular. But that was a thing. So back then, you know, everyone would have a couple drinks, then you'd all start talking, and I would always rant and rave about certain topics that I thought I knew, you know, stuff about. So that's the whole idea of the podcast. Um, it's just kind of almost like an homage to uh, like a Bill Burr style where I'm just going to talk about stuff that bothers me. Uh, you know, I'll rant and rave a little bit. I'll tell some stories, uh, comedy related stories, stories about being on the road, stories about just random dumb stuff I've done. That'll probably be a lot of it. And just, you know, things that make me mad, things that make me happy. It might get heavy from time to time. But the whole idea of the podcast is this is something that you could be like, oh yeah, I would have a beer with this guy or I'd have a shot with this guy. I never drank beer or wine. My big thing was liquor. And now that I'm sober, I threw in the ex drinking buddy, the the ex part of it, because I've been sober now two and a half years, so 
I'm not really a drinking buddy anymore, but again, I do have a lot of ex-drinking buddies. So a little about me. Um, I uh, started comedy back in 2009. Went to my first open mic. That was a lot of fun. And um, I kind of got the bug, but at the time I had just stopped playing college football. I played at FAU, go Owls. Um, and I was drinking a lot. And so I did a couple of open mics, then I got my first DUI, um, so I kind of stopped doing comedy for a little while because of all that, and then I got hit by a car, got a settlement later on, um, blew that on like drugs and alcohol and stuff, and kept partying, and kind of stopped doing comedy, so in the last 11 years, I've been doing comedy kind of on and off. And so, um, this is just another way to get my voice out there, and if you want to talk to me, you can find me on all social media at Brennan T. Comedy. My website is BrennanTComedy.com. You can always email me, BrennanTassif, at BrennanTComedy.com, um, and I'd love to hear from anybody out there, because I honestly feel like I'm just talking into the ether, but this inaugural episode is going to be just like I said a little bit about me kind of where I come from see if you can relate to it at all and uh, how I got here so I was born May 29th 1988 now <laughs> we won't go that far back but yeah I, um, I was always a nerd growing up kind of I have an older brother who's really smart and was into like Star Trek and stuff like that. So I kind of, you know, you always want to be like your older brother. So I kind of took after him with that kind of stuff and played a lot of video games. And I was a real anxious, kind of depressed kid growing up. So um, I would, you know, just hang out in my room by myself a lot. I got bullied a lot when I was younger, which if you looked at me now, you'd be kind of surprised. Because now, you know, I'm a six foot two, 240 pound guy that goes to the gym six days a week and... But that's all a facade. It's it's fake. I talk about it on stage, but really I'm a big bowl of jello on the inside. I'm a big softy. But I look intimidating, which is always nice when you're walking down a dark alley in a city. But yeah, so I have an older brother and then two sisters, a twin sister, and then an older sister. Uh, typical, you know, upbringing. Parents got divorced, you know, did the whole weekends here, weekends there thing. And then <clears throat> played football um, all through high school. Started actually in seventh grade playing football. I really enjoyed it. Um, I went to college to play football. I had a few scholarship offers from real small schools. And I actually decided that if I was going to play college football, I was going to play at a Division One school. So it's something, it's like a partial scholarship or a preferred walk-on, kind of you can call it whatever you want. Um, I always say partial scholarship because it's easier than trying to explain like, no, I, I went there and I, I made, you know, I was on the team. I didn't have to try out and they covered my like meal plan and stuff like that. But I, my tuition I had to pay for. So it's just easier just to say I was on a partial scholarship. Um, so I, like I said, I went to FAU. Uh, played football for about two and a half years, um, and then left the team for medical reasons. I kept, I just kept getting too many concussions, so I decided that, well, 
I was told it was in the best interest of my long-term health to leave the team. And that's also because I, I wasn't like a real player. I was a scout team All-American, as I like to say. I, you know, was a tackling dummy and practice squad guy. Um, but I still worked really hard and, you know, I was at practice, you know, two days, two times a day, you know, six days a week and did film study and was in the gym. Something really strange happened when I was told I wasn't going to be able to play football anymore. You kind of have this weird like click over in your brain like, well, wait a second. This is what I do. This is what I've done since seventh grade. So, you know, like, what do you mean I can't do this anymore? And that's when I started drinking a lot. Like I kind of dove headfirst into partying. Um, I had always been a huge fan of comedy. I study comedy like, you know, people study history. Um, and so I knew I wanted to do something with that, but I wasn't sure how to even start. And I'm in Boca Raton at the time, South Florida. So I was just kind of drinking and partying every day. And then I found what is known commonly as open mics. And so I started going to open mics and doing comedy, but my drinking was getting worse and worse. And so I was kind of doing comedy like once every like couple of weeks and then I got my first DUI, and that was a long series of events, as anyone with a DUI knows. And then in 2012, I was done with school. Um, I majored in political science, and I got a minor in American history, and then I decided to leave South Florida, because I couldn't afford to stay down there anymore without uh, student loans. But the funny thing is when you get a DUI, you're supposed to be on probation for a year. So I was six months into that and then just decided to leave. I moved back home to Palm Coast with my mom. And then that didn't really work out because I had been away from home for so long. I couldn't get back into this mindset of being under someone else's roof. And I was still partying like crazy and drinking like crazy. So I stayed with some friends, um, kind of bounced around. And then I got my settlement check from when I got hit by a car on a bicycle. I was obviously riding a bike because of the DUI. And I got an apartment in Daytona Beach where I grew up. Um, I actually grew up outside of Daytona in a town called Ormond, but no one knows what that is. So I always just say Daytona. And then I blew through that money, $26,000. I blew through that in about 28 days and kind of ran out of options. And I wasn't doing any comedy at this point. I was just drinking and doing drugs like every day. Bought a bunch of like toys and everything that I eventually had to pawn within a few weeks. And I decided to move up to Oklahoma City where my cousin was living. My cousin was doing comedy up there. He was the one who introduced me to comedy when I was like eight years old. Stand-up comedy. And he was living in Oklahoma City doing comedy. Doing Teach for America and then comedy at night. And he had offered for me to stay with him, so that's what I did. And that lasted about three or four months, and that's when I decided that I needed to get help. And I called my mom crying, and she told me to look at the back of the card on my insurance card, and there was a mental health number. So I called it and ended up in Jacksonville, Florida to go to rehab, which is where I currently reside. That was in 2013, so less than a year for everything to really kind of fall apart. And then when I got to... <clears throat> I was doing a lot of comedy in Oklahoma City, though, with my cousin. Then when I got to Jacksonville, I kind of wanted to uh, keep that going. 
So I kept doing comedy here. Now, when I say I was doing comedy in Oklahoma City with my cousin, I mean, I was wasted, like, every show. And I would get on stage, and I would do, like, an Arnold impression, and then, like, a really bad Christopher Walken impression. And then I would just, you know, talk to the crowd for, like, ten minutes and then get off. And a lot of you might be thinking, like, oh, that sounds terrible. Well, if you do comedy or if you have done even an open mic, you understand that no show is going to let you just ramble for 10 minutes straight. I would run the light every time. And they hated me. My cousin loved me, but a lot of the other comics were like, yeah, he's a sweet guy, but he's kind of a fucking moron. And that was the worst yeah, so then I came to Jacksonville, Florida, went to treatment, and then when I got out of treatment, I decided I wanted to keep pursuing comedy. So I did that. I was doing uh, shows more regularly. I was living in a halfway house after treatment, and I was doing shows more regularly. I met a girl, fell in love, that whole thing, and then fell off the wagon, and it took me a long time to get back on the wagon. Mind you, I went to rehab in 2013. It is now 2020, and I only have two and a half years sober, so that'll tell you something. Which is another thing I'll probably talk about a lot on this podcast, because um, one of the things about ranting and raving is it's better than uh, alternatives to certain situations. So, you know, if you hear me talk about being sober or sobriety or anything, don't don't let that turn you off to the podcast. That's just my journey. That's just what I'm doing. Um, I don't want anybody to be like, oh, f- you know, screw this guy. He thinks he's better than everybody. I mean, I am better than a lot of people, but don't. Don't let that turn you off from the show. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm a real self-deprecating piece of garbage, which we'll all come to know and love each other. That's that's just how this kind of stuff works. Yeah, so then, um, finally, uh, 30th birthday, got rushed to the ER again for alcohol poisoning. Third time that has happened to me in my life. So two DUIs, uh... About 12 seizures and three trips to the ER for alcohol poisoning. And I finally, finally then was like, yeah, maybe I should probably give this give this uh, whole sobriety thing a real shot. And I did. And, you know, I haven't had a drink since, which is good. But I still like talking. And I still like getting angry about stuff. And I'm the kind of guy that, like, at work, if something weird happens, I feel like I have to go up and tell everybody, which is really annoying, I'm sure, for a lot of people, but I don't know. I feel like Jerry Maguire, so if you've ever seen Jerry Maguire in the opening of that movie, he, um, there's that whole scene where he's in the hotel room, and he's like, break down, break through, and that's kind of how I feel a lot of the time. He has that really good line, I had so much to say and no one to listen. And that's kind of how I live my life, which is why I love doing comedy. Um, A lot of people don't find my humor, my same sensibilities when it comes to humor. I find myself uh, playing to the back of the room a lot, playing to the comics and stuff. Just because they understand a lot more, kind of the hardships in life. You know, normally comedians are very dark and sinister folks. And I've realized that, you know, especially if you play, excuse me, bar shows and stuff like that, 
a lot of those people just don't really understand what you're trying to say. Um, when you're trying to talk about life and struggles and things like that. And I, I, you know, I try to make everything funny. I try to do it in a funny way. And I think some of my stuff's hilarious, but I've noticed more and more, especially when I do those bar shows and stuff like that, where people are just kind of like, uh, no, we're good. Like, we don't think that's very funny. Which really sucks, because, like I said, with my sensibilities, I think a lot of that stuff is pretty funny. You know, back when I was younger and I used to carve my arms up and stuff and self, self-harm self because I didn't know how to deal with anxiety. I turned that into jokes. But a lot of people don't get it. And that's my fault. You know, if you want to be a good comic, you have to, you know, make people understand. You have to describe it in a way where people understand. And a lot of times I don't, I don't necessarily do that all the time. Sometimes I'm very snobbish in the fact that I'm like, this is what I'm doing. And if you don't like it, then you just don't get it. Which is not how to become a big touring comedian. I can tell you that much for damn sure. Like I said, we'll do a lot of different stuff on this show. Um, I'm interested to hear from everybody. So if you want to email me, brennantassif at brennantcomedy.com. I'll have that in the description also for the show when I post it. I'm going to try and do this through Squarespace. We'll see what happens. Uh, This is not a plug for Squarespace because I don't know if it's going to work or not yet, but I've been using them for my websites and all that kind of stuff. So we're going to see what happens. Uh, Only had one visit to my website today. That's that's cool. I did start another podcast. You will hear me talk about, like I said, politics. I'll talk about comedy on here. I'll talk about, I'll have friends on um, and I'll get them wasted. We'll truly make it like a drinking buddy podcast. But. For the most part, I'll just kind of, like I said, rant and rave about certain things that happen, certain things that frustrate me. Uh, like the other day, uh, so I work in the restaurant industry now because I'm not a nationally headlining comedian. So I work in restaurants now to kind of supplement my income and during this whole COVID thing to be all of my income because, you know, there's no money to be made really anymore right now in comedy. For the most part. I mean, people are starting to tour again. This is being recorded on September 16th. Should go out on the 18th. But, um, yeah, 2020, man. It's been a real trip. But, like, so, for example, I had a table the other day come in. A little two-top. Celebrating an anniversary. And the meal was good. Everything went well. They came in. They were about, so we closed at 9. Their reservation was for 8.30. They got there at about 8.50. Um, he showed up first, then she took a while to get there. It was just kind of a a mess from the start, you know. They showed up, like I said, 20 minutes late. Her heel had broken on her shoes, so she, like, had taken her shoes off. And I work in a a pretty nice steakhouse, so it was kind of awkward that she was walking around barefoot. But then, we'll fast forward towards the end of the meal. She came up to me when he was in the restroom and said, Hey, here's our room key. I want you... To give this to my boyfriend when he gets when he gets out of the bathroom, I'm gonna get up to go to the bathroom, but I'm just gonna go up to the room. I want him to think that I left, and then at the end of the meal when he goes to pay, give him the room key, kind of like a ha ha ha, I gotcha sort of thing. And it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. 
they're staying in the hotel that's attached to the restaurant I work at. So I was kind of confused, but, you know, I'll do, I do whatever, you know, within reason that my guests asked me to do. So I said, all right, no problem. We'll do that. So the end of the meal comes. She excuses herself to go to the bathroom, and I give the guy the check. And my first instinct is, well, this was kind of a, a mess. You know, I'm always going to take my own side, I guess. So I thought the service was good, but the, the situation was kind of just a mess. We were showing up late her being barefoot, you know, they didn't know what they wanted, then he said they were ready to order, and then she wasn't, so then I had to come back, and it was just kind of weird, it was a weird vibe, and I've been in the restaurant industry now for 18 years, so I'm, I'm pretty good at reading that kind of vibe from a table, and then the bill was $191, the guy gave me 200 in cash, now, I don't know if it's a respect thing, or a force of habit, or whatever it is, but I always tell my guests, always, I'll be right back with the change. Just give me one moment. And I said that like I always do. And he said, okay. <laughs> Which to me was kind of crazy because I was like, well, your change is $8 and some some change. And the bill was $200 and, you know, the meal was good. I was very attentive. So you're not, you're not going to leave me anything. But I've had this happen before where I've thought that and then I get to the table and they put like a 20 or 40 on the table. So I'm not going to be quick to judge i just said okay went to the bar got the change came back handed him i said here you go sir handed it down and he literally counted it and then put it in his pocket and now i had to give this guy his room key and i was like oh by the way your girlfriend wanted you to have this now that's obviously the thing that i'm supposed to do you know that's what i was supposed to do but what really made me think was I know where you're staying in this hotel tonight. Now, I only thought this, but I was like, I could pull so many pranks, like keep calling the room or go up and keep knocking on the door. It's not a nice, it's not like a super swanky nice hotel. It's not like you have to use the card to get up to the other floors. And all these thoughts just kind of race through my head like, well, if you want to stiff me on 200 I'm off tomorrow. I don't have anything to do after work tonight. I could just be like a little Dennis the Menace and start pulling pranks. And then I thought, well, if I've thought, if I'm thinking this now, there's someone in this world who works in a restaurant who would actually do those things. Now, I would never do those things because, like I said earlier, I'm a big teddy bear. You know, I talk a big game, but I'm really not that tough. So I would never do anything. You know, and it's not even like a violence thing. Like, I wouldn't even just go knock on the door or call the hotel. But it's just weird to me how people do things like that without any thought of, oh, this could go poorly. Like my ex, she was from Jersey, and that's why she said she was such an aggressive driver. But, like, she'd cut people off or flick people off. And I'm like, this is Florida. Like, people have guns in their cars, and you don't know what kind of day they're having. Like, you don't know what people are capable of. You know what I mean? That's insane to me. Because people are crazy. A lot of people are psychotic, and you just don't know, like, what they are, what they could do, or would do, or are willing to do. So, I don't know. That's That was just something that really stuck out to me. And that was one of those things that immediately when it happened, I went and told, like, everybody at work. 
So that's why I'm sharing it with you, the listeners, now, because that's what I'm going to use this for more now, is I'm going to uh, talk about that kind of shit here versus to a bunch of people at work. Um, I do have some shows coming up, which is cool. It'll be the third time since COVID that I've gotten on stage. The first time was here in the great state of Florida. The governor thought we could open up bars a little earlier than everybody else. So about three months into the shutdown, you know, when a lot of us started going back to work and stuff, the governor was like, we're good. Everything's good. Open it up. Um, so I had done my, I did, I headlined a show then, um, only did 30 though. Cause a lot of these, it was a bar show and a lot of these bar shows, um, especially when you're not getting paid, you know, it's, Hey, you know, we're just not, we're just starting to reopen everything. So do, do you want to come out and, you know, you can headline, you can do as much time as you want, but you're not going to get paid. So a lot of times in those situations, you don't want to do more than 30. In my experience, again, I'm not a nationally touring headlining comedian. But in those situations, a lot of times the people in the bar don't know there's going to be comedy. And sometimes they do. But even then, they've seen, you know, five, six, seven comics before you all doing, you know, between five and 12 minutes. So by the time you get up there, people are just kind of like, all right, let's go. Wrap it up. Like, we get it. Ha, ha, ha. And then, so that was back in, God, that was in January, March, April, May, June, July. I think that was in July. And then this past month, August, yeah, in September, I went to Dayton, Ohio. Not to do Chappelle Saves the Summer. That would have been awesome um, at Yellow Springs. But I was about 10 minutes outside of there. And I did a show. My mom and my stepdad own a pizza place slash bar out there. So my mom bribes me with stage time to come out there and do shows. It's called Old Dayton Pizza at Riverside Hideaway. It's really good pizza. Anybody in that area should definitely check it out because the pizza is really good. But um, she wanted me to come out. And of course, they uh, did the whole, well, we can do a show while you're up here. So I went up and did that. I actually got bumped from headlining a show at the venue my parents own, my mom and my stepdad own. But that was actually for the best because it was terrible. I I shouldn't say that. I did terribly. There were a lot of comics up there and a lot of them crushed and did really well. But again, I get in my own head and I think like, I'm going to do my material. Like I'm not going to dumb this down for some Joe Schmo hillbilly and you know Trumptopia USA, like I'm doing my material, but the problem with that is I again am playing to people who are listening. I'm playing to the people who are paying attention. I'm playing to people who understand what it's like to you know get two DUIs and stuff. And a lot of times at a bar show, those aren't the people in the bar. You know, they don't want to hear about going to rehab because they don't, they just don't want to hear about it. They don't think there's anything funny about it. Not because it can't be funny, but as soon as they hear words like sober or rehab or DUI, they kind of just turn their brains off. And so, so needless to say, that did not go well at all. Um, my set, at least. Everyone else did pretty well. Um, there was a comic out there, Michael Wells, who helped me put it together. Shout out to Michael Wells in Dayton, Ohio. Um, he's a one-liner comic too, so it's, 
it's crazy to watch him work because he is very prolific with his one-liners, but there's so much, like, um, there's so much that material that he has to do, which is insane to me because I tell stories and almost everything in my act now is true or based on most mostly truths. There's very little, like sometimes a story will happen and I'll kind of move, like everything has happened, but I'll kind of move situations around or dates around or the time around, you know what I mean, to kind of punch it up, make it seem uh, quicker or funnier, but it's all based in truth. Almost all my stories are 100% true. Some of them, like I said, I fiddle with. And then sometimes there's situations that happen and I'm like, oh, well, this won't be relatable for anybody. So you tweak a couple of things and then, you know, you, you replace words like comedian with ex-girlfriend. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, now everyone can relate because maybe not everyone is as obsessed with comedy as I am, but everyone has an ex that they've, you know, Instagram stalked before. So, but it's easier for me to do stories because that's how my brain works. You know, I'm a storyteller, whether it's on stage or off stage, which gets me into trouble a lot of the time because people don't care a lot of the time, <laughs> um, which is something I've been struggling with the whole time I've been doing comedy is trying to make people care. Because again, these things happen to me, so they, they mean a lot more to me. And then trying to get relay that to people. Sometimes it works, and when it works, it it really works. Like if it hits, it hits hard, but... Sometimes it doesn't because people will treat comedy like a comedy show, almost like a, a, a music show. And those things aren't the same at all because music you can, you know, you can listen to and pay attention to. But for the most part, especially if you're doing bar shows or something, you're just kind of it's in the background. Like you're kind of half paying attention, but, you know, you can hear it and it can sound good, but you're not like into it like you don't have to pay extra attention to it but that's how a lot of people treat comedy shows is the same way as like a music show where they're kind of half paying attention half listening they'll be having a full-on conversation and then like turn and listen to like a joke or two and then go back to their conversation so that works with a lot of comedians who tell you know really well-crafted jokes or if you're doing shows in actual comedy clubs where people are there to see comedy a lot of the time they'll pay a lot more attention but what I've noticed is doing these bar shows and coffee shop shows and open mics and stuff even you know back when I first started in South Florida is that those kind of shows people a lot of the time don't pay attention I always call it ambush comedy you know, it's like, surprise, we're going to be doing comedy tonight. And a lot of times people don't want to hear it. It's not that they don't want to. It's just that they don't under, you know, you don't get it. Imagine going out to dinner. Then all of a sudden someone's like, hey, we're going to wail on these drums for the next hour. You know, you didn't want that. You didn't, you didn't sign up for that. So that's a really weird kind of thing to, uh, throw onto people because, uh, you know, they're not expecting it. So, but let me tell you, in that show in Dayton, the dick jokes and the sex jokes, ugh, played gangbusters. I got to see my 90-year-old grandmother. Well, she got to see me do comedy, so that was an added, an added incentive 
but it, it didn't help at all. It was still terrible. Got to see my older brother, though. He came out. He loved it, which is really a positive sign because that's kind of what my demographic is. You know, my brother went to Cornell for his PhD and uh, University of Florida for his undergraduate. So my brother's really, really smart. And it was kind of one of those things where it's like, okay, if the guy in between the ages of, you know, 29 and 45 who's really intelligent is laughing, that's all I care about. Because the rest of these people aren't my demographic. But again, real, real comedians, great comedians, even good comedians can kind of read a room and be like, no, we'll make everybody laugh. No problem. And I probably, you know, could have done a halfway decent job of that. I'm not saying I'm a great comedian in any stretch, but I just didn't want to do that. Like, I've, I don't talk about sex on stage at all, which is almost to a detriment because I've got some stories. I just don't ever want to talk about that kind of stuff. Football's back, which is good. I just got back from dinner and I was sitting at the bar and I had to put my headphones in because there was this whole conversation that the bartender was having with um, one of the bar regulars, I guess. He was calling him by his first name, so I assume he's a regular. Um, and they were having this whole thing where, you know, obviously sports are on in the background. And it's just a replay of the Tampa Bay Saints game. And the older guy, the patron, was like, hey, you know, what the hell you think, what the hell you think about this whole kneeling thing? You watching any of this football? I'm not watching football no more. Hell no. They can keep it. They can have it. Like, I don't want to watch football no more with all this kneeling bullshit. The bartender was like, I hear you, man. I hear you. I don't watch I, I don't watch the first five minutes because of that stuff. And all I could think was, like, this is insanity. Only because the the whole point that the guy was trying to make was, you know, it's about disrespecting the flag and the soldiers and stuff. And my whole issue with that is that's, you know, you can't, and I, you know, I don't have any background in the service, but my, my opinion was that from someone who studied history and political science was that you can't say you have the right to protest, but only if it's something we want you to protest. You know, when you fight for the freedom to protest or the freedom of speech, it's for everything. Whether you like it or not, like, it's the freedom to do that. So I was just kind of, I kind of just put my headphones in. I was like, oh, I'm just going to ignore this conversation. Because, again, nobody gives a shit what I have to say about it. And also, I just wanted to eat dinner. But it's just so weird to me when people get so up in arms about that kind of stuff. Because it's like, wait a second, that goes against, isn't that why? Isn't that the rights you're talking about? Isn't that the 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 what they're doing, isn't that emphasizing the right that you're talking, like, isn't it, like, aren't we talk, talking about the same thing here? But I guess not, and I understand why people get flustered. I mean, my grandfather was an original Green Beret, so I can understand where people, you know, get real, you know, antsy about the flag and service and stuff like that. But anyway, this show will not be about politics for the most part. I'll probably rant about a few things, but... um it's not going to be centered around politics. I want to keep it fun. Like I said, like I said, it's going to be a kind of a ranting, raving podcast. Um, so we'll see what happens. I was watching uh, the town earlier. That was on TNT. God, what a fucking good movie that is, right? The town, dude, dude, coming straight out of Boston, bro. When I was in rehab, 
there's a guy there from fucking New Bedford, dude. And so him and I would talk like this the whole time, and we convinced the entire staff that we were cousins and that we went there together. And it was a great, great move, dude. But uh, I'm not really from Boston. Pretty good. I used to be really good at impressions, but uh, I kind of stopped doing them because the problem with doing impressions is that then you become that person who always does impressions. So like now when I go home for the holidays, my uh, dad is always like, do the De Niro. That's not even a voice. That's just a face that you make. We've all seen Paul Rudd do it. These shows. Um, but I used to do Ace Ventura a lot. Uh, you know, the alrighty then and the that kind of thing. In fact, I did that one so much. Like, we'd go out to eat and my dad would be like, do it, do it for the waitress, do it for the waitress. And I would be like, they're servers, dad. Uh, have a little respect now. I would... Uh, so I would do it, and then I would always act like I didn't want to, but then I'd do it, and everyone would kind of like smile, and I was like, <laughs> yes. Um, I don't know if you've ever done that, had kind of a, a talent that you, you were like, no, I, I don't do that, and then once you finally do it for someone, you're like, yeah, I do it. I love attention, that's for damn sure, obviously. Look at what we're doing here. Recording a podcast. I was actually looking for someone <clears throat> online because I remember, God, what was I in like fourth grade, third or fourth grade? I uh, was calling this guy who's like kind of a friend, kind of not like almost like an acquaintance from school, um, middle school. Or no, God, that was elementary school. So it must have been middle school, it must have been sixth grade. And I would call his house, and if he wouldn't pick up, I would just do an Ace Ventura impression on their answering. This is back when there was answering machines. And they actually had like a, a tape in there. So it only would record so long. And I would do all sorts of impressions on his answering machine. And when I say also, I would like always do this. It happened one time. But his mom got so mad. And him and I weren't even that close. Like we weren't. we were more acquaintances than we were friends. So that was super awkward. And that's something I still think about to this day. You know, almost, no, over 20 years later, I still think about that. Does that happen to anybody else? Does anybody else have that thing? I know Kyle Kinane, a very great, awesome, super funny comedian, talks about that, uh, the whole idea of um, repressed uh, thoughts, repressed memories. He has a bit about it. So I, I won't, shut you know, I won't, try and do his bit in my own words. I'm not going to try and do that, but I, I don't have that. Like, all my memories are front and center. I constantly think about some of the stuff that I've done. And it's not even, like, terrible things. Like, I've done terrible things. Don't get me wrong. There's a reason why I go to AA meetings. But, like, there's just certain things that... I remember one time um, I was in middle school. and No, this was... Yeah, middle school. And I remember I had gotten into inline, aggressive inline skating. And that's when this movie Brink came out from the Disney Channel. Shouts out to the movie Brink. That was a good skate movie. But they kept doing this thing called an Indo 540, an Indy 540. It's an inverted 540. So you just spin around 540 degrees, but you're inverted. So you're upside down when you do it. 
and I remember hearing that term in the movie. So then I went up to uh, a guy I knew named Braxton Martin. He won't mind me putting him out there because he's an artist. Follow him on social media. Um, it's at Braxton Creates. He's a really good artist. Uh, taxidermy art kind of thing. But I remember telling him, yeah, man, I went to the skate park and I tried an Indy 180. Thinking like, oh, an inverted 180. Like... That's a thing. Well, let me tell you, it's not a thing. And that is something that has haunted me to this day, thinking back on that. I'd love to know if any of you people listening to this dribble have those kind of memories. Don't I don't want to hear anything gross. I mean, if it's gross, I don't care. I don't want to hear anything like hostile. I'll show you hostile. That's the line from uh, The Dark Knight. You'll get a lot of movie references out of me. I I do this thing where I don't watch a lot of movies, but I watch the movies I like a lot. It's the same thing I do with comedy. I, I can listen to comedy albums, the same one, like a hundred times. Like I've listened to Mostly Stories by uh, Tom Segura's special Mostly Stories, all of Bill Burr's specials, well, all of Tom Segura's specials. I listen to those like on repeat. And it's so bizarre because most normal people... Like, the majority of you listening don't do that. You listen to something once, or you watch something once, and you go, oh, that was good, or oh, that was bad, and that's the end of it. But I'm, maybe it's because I'm an addict, but I get into this weird headspace where I'm like, no, I'm going to watch this 17 times, and then I'm going to quote it, and then I'll go back in a few months, and I'll watch it all over again. I did that with Burn Notice. The Jeffrey Donovan vehicle, Burn Notice, it was a show on USA, and everyone knows the Aziz Ansari joke where he goes, you see billboards for shows like Burn Notice. Who watches Burn Notice? Harrison watches Burn Notice. Everyone knows that joke, but I really did like that show, Burn Notice. And I watched it. It came out when I was in college. It actually came out before that, but I started watching it when I was in college. And this is back before like you could just on-demand things. Like This is before streaming and all that, so... I think we had LimeWire in our dorm room at the time, and my buddy, my roommate, my longtime college roommate, Sean Michael Murphy, turned me on to it. And so we were trying to download as many episodes as we could through, like, LimeWire, I think, at the time. Um, and we would watch that show. And then when I got older, I started watching, like, the new seasons, and I started buying the DVD seasons. That's how old I am. And I've seen that show. And then it came out on Netflix, and I rewatched it again. I don't know what's wrong with it. It's not even... Like, I rewatched that entire series at least three or four times in my adult, adult life. And every time I do, I'm always like, it's not that good. But then there are certain scenes where I'm like, oh, that was awesome. It's the same thing with Hook. I watch Hook at least twice a year since I was like 10 years old. And I mean, it's a good... I mean, I love it. I think it's an awesome movie, but... When I talk to people about it, they're like, yeah, I think I saw it when I was a kid because it came out in, like, 93. Starship Troopers is another one. God, I love Starship Troopers. That's an, that's a good movie. Anybody who says otherwise doesn't know movies. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You cannot like it. But I think Paul Verhoeven did a really good job with that. And if you read this, you know, read in between the lines, like, the subtext of it versus the campiness, kind of like 90210E 
on the surface, but if you dig a little deeper, I did a whole breakdown of Starship Troopers for a political film and fiction class and got a B plus on it. Um, my professor was like, there's no way you could pull this off. And I was like, watch me. And I did. But that's because there are certain scenes in that movie that talk about, you know, martial law and, you know, uh, you know, the military taking control over the, the political scientists who almost destroyed the world with, you know, their, um, bureaucracies and all this kind of stuff and it's just god that's such a good movie anyway just wanted you guys to get to know me a little bit on this inaugural episode like i said it's the first one they're not going to be like this all the time it's definitely not going to be a lot of this uh me just mumbling telling stories and stuff you know we'll have a i'll have a layout for the ones coming up not really like a set layout like my sports podcast where We've got uh, an outline that we always stick to, but like I'll, I'll have ideas of things to talk about um, coming up. And like I said, this is almost like an homage to Bill Burr, um, what he does. And it's funny because I have these conversations in my car all the time by myself. Um, so I don't think it's going to be that difficult to do it as a podcast. I might, um, right now you're hearing me recording from my makeshift podcast studio. The little office I have in our house. So this is where like my Xbox is and my monitors and my laptop and my webcam and my uh, actual mounted microphone. Um, so I don't know how the quality is, but you know, send me some feedback. Brennan Tassif at BrennanTComedy.com. Um, but yeah, so I'll do it from here. I'll probably record it on my phone sometimes when I'm out and about. I do the best talking to myself in the car. That's for sure. My dad used to do, I mean, I'm sure he still does do that, but he used to talk to himself all the time in the car. And I remember when I was younger, it used to freak me out because I'd be like, what are you doing? Like, are you talking to yourself? And he's like, huh, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he'd just turn the radio up. <laughs> but I do it all the time now. Like what I'm doing now on this podcast, having a full-blown conversation with myself, I do that constantly in the car. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I got so used to being by myself so much as a kid that I'm just used to just talking to myself. Anyway, that is the first episode of Brennan Tassif is your ex-drinking buddy. Um, follow me on all social media at Brennan T. Comedy or don't. You know, email me. Um, email into the show or don't. Again, I don't really know what to expect from this. I'm going to keep doing it because I enjoy this kind of stuff. Like I said, I enjoy getting my voice out there and letting you all get to know me but um yeah we'll probably talk i'll probably talk a lot more like sports and stuff on here even though i do have a sports podcast it's on the uh new low network it's called cheers from the press box check that out you can find that streaming on all uh podcast sites um it's on spotify it's on stitcher which i didn't even know anybody still used stitcher but it's out there um, iTunes, Google Podcasts, which is where this one's going to be too. So anyway, like I said, mail in, email me, let me know if you want me to rant or rave about anything. I'll get more passionate about certain topics coming up. Um, like I said, this one was just going to be an inaugural show, kind of get to know me, the host, um, get to know you, the, the listener. So just email in and moving forward, I'll probably have friends on here and 
you know, we'll shoot the shit and do the whole drinking buddy thing. But for right now, this was just to get to know me a little. So hope you enjoyed it um, and listen in next week. All right. You all have a great rest of your week and cheers.